You are listening to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host, Tori Henderson, and this is episode 54. All links and show notes can be found by going to lifecoachingforparents.com slash 54. Welcome to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. This show is designed for moms who invest everything into parenting, but get overwhelmed, lost, and resentful. Listen and learn how to unburden yourself, feel calm, full of energy, and in control. I'm your host, Master Certified Life Coach, Teacher, and Recovering Supermom, Tori Henderson. Hey, Supermoms. How are you? I'm so excited. Today, I've got Debbie Reber. She is the host of the Tilt parenting podcast and author of the book Differently Wired. So if you have a differently wired kid with a brain-centered difference, then this show is for you. Now, I started with the question of how do I help my teenage son make friends when, you know, you've got a kid who maybe maybe he's not differently wired, but he just struggles with the friendship department, then stay tuned, listen up. But I also took advantage of having her here to ask her some questions that other clients are dealing with, Uh, one of which is, what if you have a kindergartner or like a kid who's just starting in the school system and already having troubles with fitting in with, you know, the rules of the classroom? And do you have any advice for a parent who's just beginning this journey? But also, I asked her for advice for a parent who's maybe their kid kind of sailed through elementary school. This can happen, right? Like they, that they're not bad enough to draw attention when they're younger and they don't get in trouble in class. But then middle school hits and the amount of work and the complexity of the work hits so much that then they get diagnosed with a learning disability. The parents find out that there's a brain-centered challenge that kid is facing. And now the parent feels like they've got to sit with them for hours after school and help them with their homework, or they can't get it done, right? That they just lose focus so easily that it requires a lot more time, effort, and attention than that mom thought or dad thought that they would be spending with them in middle school. So I see that happening quite a bit. And so I thought I would ask Debbie for her advice and opinion on all three of those situations. So tune into the show. It's a good one. I also want to invite you to my workshop, my first ever online workshop. This is going to be Saturday, February 1st, and registration is now open. So you can go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash workshop and check it out. Sign up. Now, this is the Raising Responsible Kids workshop. Okay, so we're going to do a deep dive into what is getting into your way from helping your kids kind of step up and take responsibility. Like not only does it benefit us when our kids start taking on more responsibilities and like getting themselves up in the morning and being responsible for their homework and their, you know, room and helping out around the house and all this kind of stuff. It helps us because there's less on our plate, but it is so helpful and important for the kids and their sense of self-efficacy. So, delegating chores and getting helping kids to take responsibility is really pretty simple, right? It may not be easy, but it's simple. You just tell them what to do and then expect that they do it every day or once a week, or you just kind of slowly let go of the rope and then be responsible for more and more things. That is not the complicated part. 
The hard part is that we get in our own way because when we do that, we get annoyed, we get frustrated, we get tired of repeating ourselves. We get sick of the eye rolling and the complaining. We get bothered by the fact that they won't just step up and do it. But kids, they don't like to do things where they don't feel confident and competent, right? They like to do things that they're good at. But we as parents, we don't like watching our kids struggle and stumble through things. We don't like watching them do a bad job, right? We're just like, oh, it's easier just to do it myself than to see them kind of just halfway do it. So we end up just taking over and thinking it's not even worth the effort. Like, I'll just do it myself. It's easier, right? But then the kids lose out on the learning and building the competency and the confidence. So that's a problem. But also it's a problem for some of us parents who feel bad when we ask our kids to do things. We feel like everything is our responsibility and they're so overwhelmed with schoolwork and they've got so much going on that like, well, I'll just do it for them. I'll just, you know, take over and not put those expectations onto them. And so this delegation, which is so healthy and important for them to start building their life skills becomes either a source of contention and argument and frustration and exhaustion for us that we just don't do it or we do it inconsistently, or it becomes something that like, well, I just don't even want to deal. I'll just avoid that whole hassle and that whole argument, and I'll just do it for them. And then they don't learn to build those skills, and we don't get someone else helping us with all the big burden of responsibility that is involved when we're raising kids. So neither of these paths is a great one. And so we're going to do a deep dive into the Raising Responsible Kids workshop. So by the end, you will feel 100% confident that you know what you're doing. You know how to delegate to kids in a way that gets them to listen, respond, obey, and feel proud of themselves because you're going to feel proud of yourself too for being able to tackle this subject matter. So go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash workshop. And here is the interview with Debbie Reber. You are listening to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host, Tori Henderson. And I am here to answer the question, how do I help my quirky, intense, sensitive 13-year-old make friends? But here to help me answer this question is Debbie Reber. So Debbie is a parenting activist, a New York Times bestselling author, keynote speaker, and the founder of Tilt Parenting, a top podcast community and educational resource for parents raising differently wired children. Her newest book, Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World, came out in June 2018. After living abroad in the Netherlands for the past five years, Debbie, her husband, and her 15-year-old son recently moved back to New York. And she is here with us today. And may I say, she is also just a fabulous human being. (laughs) Welcome, Debbie. Thank you so much, Tori. I'm happy to be here. I am so thrilled to have you. And, you know, as a a coach, life coach for super moms, as I call them, moms who kind of really go all in on parenting and want to do the best for their kids, a lot of the times we've got kids who are differently wired, you know, who just their brains work a little bit differently than in kind of the conventional sense. And schools tend to be designed for conventional kids. And so it's a challenge for these parents who really want to do the right thing and they want to, you know, 
they're very invested and very involved. And so having a kid who is differently wired, which I just love that term, is just such an important topic. And I'm so glad to have you here with us today. Awesome. I'm always happy to talk about this. So I'm (laughs) thrilled. (laughs) Yes. So you got started because your son was differently wired. Can you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to kind of invest your time and energy and coaching efforts into this uh, niche? Sure. Yeah. So I, as you mentioned in my intro, I, I have a 15 year old differently wired son and I, you know, I, I kind of, as I always have in my life, I've created what I need. And, you know, before he was born and even when he was younger, I used to be focused on teenagers, as you know, and I was a teen girl advocate and would speak at conferences and wrote books for, for teenagers. And then as I got to know who my child was and we started moving through our journey and figuring out educational solutions and realizing, oh, this is a kid who is really moving through the world in a non-traditional or non-conventional way. And just started to recognize, wow, this is a really difficult journey. There is no guidebook for parents who have these kids. There's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of confusion and overwhelm and isolation. And I just really struggled for many, many years in trying to figure out how to support my child, support myself as a parent, and figure out a path for our family. So when I got a little further down the road and and learned a lot, really kind of dove into who he was and, and recognized that there are kids like him everywhere and parents like me all over the world who were all kind of isolated in our own little painful journey, I just decided, you know what, that is not okay with me. And so I pivoted and I said goodbye to the teen girl advocacy work. And I threw myself into supporting other parents who are who are raising these kids who, for whatever reason, maybe they have a learning disability or they have ADHD or they're gifted or whatever's going on with them, they're not quite thriving in the way that they deserve to. So that's why I went down this road. Yeah. And I think the differently wired is what we're talking about is really kind of the brain, right? The way that the brain is wired, whether that's through, like said, ADHD or dyslexia or auditory processing, dysgraphia, like all of these things that are brain-centered. So they're invisible to the Mm -hmm. outside. And yet it's usually like when they start going to school is when parents start to notice the differences. How old was your son when you started noticing that he was learning differently? Well, we always knew he was a very intense human. He, you know, if I look at my bookshelf from, from when he was a little guy, you know, there was, there's this progression, you know, there's like setting limits for your spirited child. Oh and then God. there's, you know, um, then there's your, you know, your strong, you know, parenting the strong willed child. And then it was the explosive child, you know, so <laughs> we, we knew early on that we were dealing with 
someone who was very specific in what he yeah. wanted and like what he was not okay yeah. <laughs> exactly and and it was when we you know then started going into even preschool when we would there were a lot of phone calls and notes home and schools that didn't quite work out and and then it was really in the elementary school years I think he was five when we did our first kind of formal diagnostic assessment mm-hmm. and that's when we started to kind of uncover who he is, or at least how his brain works and and get get us some more information. So it's been a gradual process. And before we answer today's question about the 13-year-old, I would love to hear your take. I've got another client who's got a kindergartner who's just starting on this journey, no diagnosis or anything. It just seems like he's got some ADHD, possibly like his older brother does. And um, he's just getting asked to leave his first school Mm. Uh, and the mom is, you know, having a hard time, right? Like Mm -hmm. just, you know, why aren't the teachers working, willing to work with him more? Why aren't they, now this is a private school, so they have the luxury of just saying he's not a good fit. Yeah. But do you have any advice or words of wisdom for this mom who's just starting the journey of you know, my kid won't, you know, he keeps running out of the classroom is the main issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just, and seems happy to do so. Like, he's not like, get me out of here. He's like, "Waha, this is Mm -hmm. fun. Mm -hmm. And um, just doesn't seem to want to, you know, obey the rules and comply and do what he's supposed to do. And she's just struggling with like, I think a lot of it's the uncertainty of feeling like, okay, if this school's not a good fit, then what school is and how am I supposed to navigate and feel as I'm just starting this journey with like really not knowing what the future holds? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, and the truth is, you know, my son is 15. I still don't know what the future holds. Like when you have a child on a non-traditional path, it's just, there is no way to kind of, you know, guarantee there is with, there isn't with any parent, you know, obviously we know that there are no guarantees, but the the path for a differently wired child is most likely going to involve lots of pivots and it's going to require us checking in regularly and saying, okay, what does my child need right now? What's working and what isn't? And how can I address what isn't working right now? And knowing that you might find a solution and a year later, then you need to find a new one. So that's... Unfortunately, that can be really hard to hear. But once you kind of accept that, it, it really just requires a change or a reframe of the way we've been conditioned to think parenting a child would look like we all go into this thinking we're going to find the school the elementary school and then you know they're good until middle school then we'll do that and and it's just not necessarily going to look that way but that's okay you know i think i would say for this parent because i've been there you know uh, we went through several schools in k first and second grade before we ultimately homeschooled our child but if this boy is doing things that are quote unquote, you know, inappropriate behavior or, or problematic, that behavior, there's very little behavior that's purposeful. There's very little behavior that's a child saying, I'm just going to do this to mess with people or because I want to be bad. There is a reason why he's doing this, even if it appears that he's doing it just for fun. There is some part of the way that he's wired that that is what he believes his best option is. It's important to really try to uncover 
the why behind behavior as opposed to just trying to fix the behavior so he can stay in this school or comply in a way that we deem is appropriate. And so that involves a lot of reframing. And, you know, ultimately, we want to find schools for our kids where they will be supported for who they are and not be either shamed out of things that they do or be punished for things that they do, which they're doing because they don't know how to do anything differently right now. Right. So and it's I hard. totally I totally <laughs> agree though that like understanding the motivation, it's just so yeah. empowering for moms. Like mm-hmm. when you understand why your kid is doing what you're they're doing and it like it's always coming from from my experience, it is always coming from a good, a relatively good place. Like there's a reason why. Mm-hmm. And so then when you get to the cause, the, the, the root cause of it, then it just helps you understand your child in a whole new way and that that will only help you moving forward. And so, if, yeah. and as you understand what motivates your child and what works for them and what doesn't, then you can communicate to the schools, be an advocate for your kid and hopefully have better chance of success if it's going to work. <laughs> and as yes. you're pointing out, sometimes these schools are just not designed for differently wired kids and homeschooling ends up being a better option for the kids. So can you tell me what led you to make that choice? Yeah. So we, you know, like the story you just shared, we were in a, we were in a private school um, or my son was, I wasn't, but (laughs) in a private, (laughs) a private school for, for gifted kids for kindergarten and we kind of got through that year but then halfway through first grade we just decided you know it was kind of a it was we pulled him out before they kicked him out essentially things were just really going downhill because we had a teacher who did not support or, or embrace in any way who my child was and he was being shamed in the classroom so we pulled him out to another private school for the second half of first grade then moved him into public school with an IEP and, you know, we, so we tried a number of things, but at the end of the day, it was really clear that he was not thriving. He was, he was perpetually anxious. He was really starting to identify as the quote unquote bad kid because he got in trouble all the time because he was emotionally dysregulated and in fight or flight mode most of the day and bored on top of it. (laughs) And so, so I have this kid who, who loves to learn He's IQ is way higher than mine and is just a lovely human. And I just watched him kind of shut down. And we ultimately decided, you know, when this opportunity came up for my husband to move to a job in the Netherlands, we decided let's just change everything and let's try something new. And so we took that opportunity to homeschool. And I didn't want to do it. I will just say that I was not into it because I really like being alone. I really like my work and my, you know, order that I I try to create in my life. And I knew this was going to be, it was going to throw all of that out the window and be hugely disruptive, which it was for the first, you know, year. Um, But we ended up homeschooling for six years and it was the best thing we could have done. It was a work in progress that entire time. But we were able to, I was able to kind of customize my son's education and really 
let him learn the way he learns. And he did get out of fight or flight mode. And when that happens, these kids actually can make huge leaps developmentally, emotionally, socially, and, and, and just really thrive. So mm-hmm. that's, I know it's not an option. I was just like to say, I realized it's, it, it may not be an option for every family because of, you know, the family makeup and uh, financial constraints and, and it can be challenging, but, but for a lot of differently wired kids, especially twice exceptional kids who are gifted and have some sort of learning disability, it can be a really powerful thing to do, even for a short period of time to give them a chance to, to just kind of detox from what could be a really hostile environment, which is what school ends up being for a lot of these kids. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you're mentioning, the circuitous journey of schools for these differently wired kids that homes very often, a lot of the times parents will, homeschooling will be one of those areas that they dip into even for a short mm-hmm. period of time mm-hmm. because it, it just gets can get really bad uh, at the school. And you just, it's hard to watch your kid, you know, when they're miserable. And like you said, like when they're in fight or flight, they can't learn you're in survival mode, Mm -hmm. like it's totally different parts of the brain. And so it's not a conducive environment for a lot of the kids. My client who has the question for you today about, she's got this quirky, intense, sensitive, now 13 year old, she, uh, Pulled him out of school. It was really fourth grade. He I think he went through fourth grade and just was really getting picked on from so many different avenues. And he just was starting to, you know, hate school, hate the other kids, you know, just couldn't trust them. You know, nobody likes me. Just this real feelings of oh, it's just anger and resentment towards the other kids. So she pulled him out. Uh, in fourth grade. So she's been homeschooling for the last few years. And so she feels like it's her responsibility to socialize and make sure that he makes friends. But he's got this personality where he's not exactly like friendly from the get go. And, uh, you know, he's a great kid once you get to know him. But, you know, she's wondering if you have any advice for her on how to help a 13 year old boy with this quirky personality socialize and make friends. Gosh, as you're re- as you're like sharing that all with me, I'm like that could be me writing that question in because that all that is exactly I felt this incredible pressure because I was like, oh my gosh, I am in charge of this human's like social emotional experience and and I was doing it in the Netherlands where I really had very limited options because it just like putting him in activities there was disastrous. So a couple of things. One, and I don't know if this is an issue for the person with the question or not, but I think it's really important that as a parent, we also kind of check ourselves and kind of get clear on any beliefs that we may have around what our child's social life, quote unquote, should look like. And because we often have a lot of anxiety around our child's social life, whether that's stuff that's leftover baggage from when we were little or what we're seeing in the community and or on Facebook. So we're always comparing what other kids, you know, 13-year-old kids social life looks like versus ours. You know, we need to really own our energy in this situation because our anxiety around this or if this is something that stresses us out 
that's going to compound, you know, the challenges here and our child will feel that. So I just want to say that first of all, because this can be really messy for a lot of us. What do you think is a good way to look at it? Like from like a, a good thought or a mantra for a mom to have that, you know, would kind of help her not be like you're saying so attached to the way it's supposed to look. Yeah. But maybe something that's a little more. You know, I don't know if I, I, I would always just remind myself that there is no one way that this needs to look, mm-hmm. you know, there is no one way to be a teenager. There are plenty of successful people who have, you know, who go through life with maybe one good friend, you know, we don't need to have a whole posse of friends or this group of friends. So, mm-hmm. but I think that just reminding myself, there is no one way that this is needs to look uh, and it may look different. And I used to tell myself a lot, my child is not, and I know this to be true. He's not going to be the kid with a big group of friends. He's going to be the kid who probably as a grown up too, has like one or two people and that's it. And, but those are people he really relies on. And, and so I recognize this person may not, their child may not even have that one person. And I know that's the case for a lot of differently wired kids because they tend to you know, they're either on a delayed timeline, they're, so their social skills are lagging, which makes it really hard to connect with um, same age peers, or their intellect may, might be, you know, much higher and same thing, they're really challenged um, to connect. In terms of advice for, for what to do, I think it's just a matter of, well, two things. One is, if there is the possibility to have your child participate in a social skills group of some sort, I'm a fan of those um, because it can be a more contrived environment, but they can at least start to learn, especially at 13 is a good age to really start working on these things, to start recognizing, oh, when I do this, this is actually how other people see it. Because a lot of these kids struggle with theory of mind or just really understanding that other people are experiencing things differently from them. So a good social skills group would be a way to start to learn you know, some of those things and recognize how my behavior might impact other people, mm-hmm. but they also get a chance to practice, you know, in a, in, in a kind of a safe environment doing some of these things. So that, that some typically wired kids could benefit from a social yeah. skills group. Everybody. Yeah. It's a life skill, it you is. know, how does my and behavior think, impact other people? Like, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Benefit. That's exactly right. So So that's one thing. Um, But then, you know, I know what I did was I continually tried to look for activities that, and my kid's not a big activity guy and not a sports guy, but I would look for activities to just kind of get him more surrounded with other kids. So there'd be more potential that he would connect with someone. I tried a bunch of summer camps. I will just say they did all fail in that regard. because you You know, I tried the interest based camp. I tried the intellect-based camp. Like I, I tried the wide twice exceptional camp. Now out here where I live, Debbie, we have a camp for twice exceptional kids Does, mm. but in our area that's specifically designed for kids like that. So you can always send them out here to California. Maybe that would be a better fit. Is that the Summit Center? It is the Summit Center. Yeah. I love those guys. Yeah. I, I have not tried the Summit Center, but I know Dr. Dan Peter as well. And 
And I think that's a great program. Yeah. So, but you, you just, you just never know, but I, it is kind of an, uh, it's like playing the odds and gambling, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the more environments that you can expose your child to, the more chance they're going to find someone. And so okay. like we just moved to, to Brooklyn. And so my son's interested in fencing. So he started taking fencing and it's kind of interesting. He says, well, the cool thing is like anyone who likes fencing, I instantly like because it's such a cool sport. So he really gives people a lot of leeway if they share that interest. He already likes them. So if you can find an activity that is maybe going to attract similarly wired kids or kids that, that this, you know, that this 13 year old boy would already kind of, Mm-hmm. Um, maybe instantly feel a connection with that can be helpful, but it really is a numbers game and, and, and knowing that this takes time and, and being clear or being realistic about our expectations. So this may not be finding a best friend right now, you know, um, and that's okay. You know, it might be just kind of, you know, maybe the goal is to just try to find someone that he can connect with once a month, you know, at some activity or something. And maybe even just like practicing some of the things um, that you're talking with him about socially. So it's, I just want to say to this parent listening, I, this is, this is the one thing for me that would keep me up at night is stress about this very issue. So I, I feel you and I know that it's hard, but we are looking at the long haul here. Right. So so, and I have to say, we're so lucky to be living in a time with the internet access because a lot of the kids who, you know, connect over their, their interests, their passions, and maybe they're a little sensitive to like, well, like, so this could be, if you got the sensitivity, you know, where it's like, I, I want to talk to you, but you know, I can, it's like too much to handle, like looking you in the eye, being close to you, having you, you know, having to socially respond. Like sometimes it's like overstimulating mm-hmm. to try and have all that input coming at you. And so sometimes kids who are differently wired do better over the internet where there's this, you know, kind of natural wall so that they can be the, their true selves, but they're not taking in so much kind of input and information. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, has your son sure. been able to connect? Does he connect online with other kids? Yeah, his two closest friends, I mean, one is from preschool. So they've been best friends for, you know, 10, 11 years now. He lives in Seattle. And so they still Skype almost every week. Oh, and they and Skype. Has, so they're actually seeing each other too. Yeah, or they're sharing screens and they're doing missions on games together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he has a good friend who lives in London. Now they met in Amsterdam and they also Skype weekly. So that is where the majority of his interaction happens. And there are, you know, there are servers that are um, just for differently wired kids, like on, on Minecraft, there's one called Autcraft and that there's a controlled environment. So there's no, I forget what it's called when you, blow up other people's creations, but they have very strict (laughs) rules about how you can participate and there's no bullying. And so it can be a safe place to connect with other kids. So yeah, online is, is awesome. And I think it is, 
people don't think it's as uh, legitimate, but I completely disagree. I think it's a great, as you said, safe way to practice back and forth conversation and, and all of these things. And those can be very real friendships. Yeah. And I think, so I have super mom kryptonite. I have in, in my podcast where it's the secret energy drain that moms don't maybe know is making them tired. I'm going to say the super mom kryptonite today for today's episode is going to be when moms expect their sons to have to socialize similarly. Okay. So I think there is a gender difference too when a lot of times girls and women, we can get together and just hang out and talk. And this is we bond and we connect through talking. And so a lot of times we forget that boys tend to be more project oriented. You know, let's, we're going to do something together, you know, come over and build a hammock out of duct tape, you know, let's, you know, meet online and play this game and that they tend to be like, I don't want to just like sit around and talk. Like I want to do something. (laughs) And so I think when, especially when you get to the 13 year old, these boys are like, you know, growing into men. And if we project kind of our ideas of what their social life should look like onto them, we're going to be left feeling like it's inadequate and they don't have enough Mm -hmm. friends. But it's very, it's not uncommon for men to have just a friend or two and, or to have like work friends that they meet and then they never see outside of work. You know, they have their little project that they get together with. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of remembering that there's a gender divide here as well as, you know, some uh, neurological differences or personality differences that might get in our way from separating out and saying like, I'm different than my son is. And it's okay that he has his friendships look different than mine do. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, half the time Asher is Skyping with his friends. I, I have to keep saying, are you, are you still on with Noah? You know, like, because I, I won't hear any talking because they're sharing screens and they're just working on a project <laughs> together, but every now and then they will pop in and say something I'll be like, Oh, they're still on together. So <laughs> Right. That's going to look different and that's okay. It's going to sound different. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I'm wondering if you have any words of wisdom for... So I I noticed that uh, sometimes my moms will have kids that have grown up and done fine in public school, elementary school, all the way through. And then sometime around middle school, they will get diagnosed. Something can like not be, they're like, okay, maybe they're a little behind in their reading, but it doesn't really come to a head and become a problem until middle school. And then they get diagnosed and it turns out, you know, they're dyslexic, they've got ADD, they've got executive functioning, they've got, you know, some problems that didn't get identified earlier on. And moms are then in middle school having to go, oh, crap. <laughs> I have to sit here at the kitchen table with my child as they do their homework for three hours a night. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of where it's like this, oh my gosh, like because they can't stay focused, they can't attend, they wander off and mentally in their mind. And it really does require a parent to kind of sit with them and keep them on task. Do you have any words of wisdom for someone who kind of didn't grow up with that. And then all of a sudden they feel like, I think there's like an arguing with Rihanna, like it shouldn't be happening. I shouldn't Mm -hmm. have to do this. Mm -hmm. And I, and yet I do. 
I shouldn't have to sit here with my child and keep them focused at age 12. And yet that's exactly what it seems like I have to do. Do you have any wisdom or advice for a mom who's in that situation? I do. And I'll just say that's a huge, huge question because I actually don't think our kids should, like, I don't think that's our role as parents. And I think that really hurts relationships a lot if we're the ones nagging and sitting and, you know, keeping them on task. So Mm -hmm. it's, so there's a systemic problem there too, in terms of what we're asking these kids to do. I just have to share the story because it popped into my head, but we were visiting friends I hadn't seen in a while. And they have two girls, one maybe in fifth grade and one in seventh grade. And we arrived, they were in another city. We arrived there. The parents weren't home. The girls had just come home from school. And the, both the girls went up to their bedrooms and sat and did their homework. And I thought I was like in an alternate universe. I was like, I'm sorry, is this what normal people do? Like, I couldn't wrap my head around that they just did this on their own. It's like, oh, okay. This is what it looks like for some people. So I think that that is unusual, but it's certainly not the way that most differently wired kids move through the world. And especially you mentioned executive functioning challenges. Middle school is where all of this stuff really shows up because the demands are higher and they do not have the skills to do so much of what's required of them. So, you know, a couple of things I would say, number one, if you can get some outside support, so it's not you being the one who is playing that role of, you know, taskmaster and having to really keep everything going and sitting and get back to what we were doing. And I, I really do believe that can create a lot of tension and conflict yeah. in our relationship with our child. And in my opinion, that's not our job. Like we, our children need us to be their parents and the people who they can share emotional you know, things with and not feel that we're on them all the time. So, but that's, that is a systemic problem because of the demands these kids have. So if you can get any sort of outside support, whether that's a tutor or there are executive functioning coaches there who can help your child create systems. Another piece of this is trying to talk to the school about getting, you know, realistic about what is actually doable for your child at home. I, you know, if they're really struggling with doing some, uh, their homework hours a night, and that's just creating stress and frustration and tension, they're not going to learn anything through it. I don't know if that's helpful, but <laughs> I think but it I, is because especially at middle school, I mean, I think it is, a you know, sometimes a bit of a, a shock for parents who didn't really have to do that much until middle school hits and the, like you're saying, the course load and there's the way they have to organize their, their classes and their schedules is they're just not capable of it. Mm -hmm. But you're also talking about a, a middle schooler who developmentally is supposed to be pushing away from their mom, Mm -hmm. (laughs) both parents, Mm -hmm. but especially mom, right? Mm -hmm. That they are developmentally supposed to be figuring out who am I separate from this person? And that's why you see kids starting to argue with their parents and tell, I'll put in the first person, tell me I'm wrong constantly and everything I say, and I don't know what I'm talking about. And, you know, I've got teenagers in the house, so I know what it's like to Mm -hmm. be, you know, pushed back. 
that the only reason I don't like what you're saying is just because you're saying it. Like I have to disagree with you and I am wired to do so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you take that developmental milestone, which is so important, you know, they're not ready to stand on their own yet. And yet they need to, so they kind of adapt a identity with the group, with friends, with somebody else other than their parents you want to encourage that because that's really appropriate and normal. And so mm-hmm. to then tie that in also with being the taskmaster and having to sit there, I really think it is, you're, you're, it's just asking for conflict and a conflict of roles and interests between the parent and the child. And there's so many ways to find, to delegate this, you mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. you're saying you could, they could FaceTime with, you know, a cousin, somebody that they like, who's good at whatever they need help with. They could sit there and do homework together online. You know, I remember one of our life coaching friends just put an ad on Craigslist and got like a retired teacher to come over every day after school and sit with their son. And it was just, there's so many different ways. And of course, people are specifically trained to work with kids with dyslexia and executive functioning and all this. So why not hire somebody who's like, that's their life's calling and their life's work. And you go, you know, be the mommy who's there to love and support and advocate and cook and drive. Exactly. (laughs) Role tends to be in middle school. You know, there's a book that I'm not sure if you've read the self-driven child by Bill Sticksrud and Ned Johnson. Good. Oh my goodness. Game changer. But you know, one of the things that they suggest doing is to basically keep like office hours almost. So and and one of the lines that they say is to tell, you know, I love you too much to argue with you about homework. And so when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be using that every day. And I also will tell my child now, I am available between five and seven. I'll be in my office working. If you've got any work to do and you want my help or you want to sit with me, I'm totally available. But after that, I'm not. And so that way, I'm also helping him take ownership of it. So it's not me driving it. And I'll say, I'm not going to, or I'm, you know, would you like a remind, like, how can I support you in this? Would you like a reminder about something in an hour? And he'll say, yes. And I'll say, okay, great. So I'll give him the reminder in the hour and I'll say, and I won't be giving you another reminder just so you know, this is it. So, you know, I think that's what we want to be working towards too is, our kids starting to take ownership of this. And that, yeah, that may mean failing classes or, you know, and I know that strikes terror in the heart of many parents, but if you're going to fail, middle school is the time to do it. You know, that's the time when the stakes really aren't that high and we need them to learn how to be self-directed. And so it's that fine balance of support, but also giving them room to kind of figure things out on their own. You want them to experience the natural consequences mm-hmm. and let them take the rain. I absolutely agree. So if you've got a kid, it sounds like this book, The Self-Driven T- Child, would be perfect if you feel like you are driving the, <laughs> mm-hmm. steering the ship, whatever, and you want to have your kid be more in charge and take ownership over their academic life, that this has some good tips on how to do that, how to let them how to kind of set some boundaries around yourself and your availability and flip the script so that they're coming to you and saying like, okay, I'll be available. Do you need me? You come to me 
rather than me sitting on you and making sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Exactly. And it will change the dynamic. I mean, there's, it just takes the, the antagonistic relationship away because it's no longer you after them, you know? Yeah, for sure. And can you tell us a little bit about your book that you've got coming? You've got shits out right now. Yeah. So I wrote a book called Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. It came out a little over a year ago. And the paperback is coming out in January, which I'm excited about because we kind of tweaked it to make it more explicit that this is a book for any parent who's raising any child who in any way isn't fitting in to the box. And it's not going to tell you how to improve your child's executive functioning or, you know, I don't, it's not about solving your child's issues. It's about doing the work on yourself as a parent to reframe how you're experiencing this so that you can show up to that relationship with confidence and peace and joy so that your child can really feel good about who they are. So I'm I'm a big believer that the work has to start with us and I, as I know you are as well. Yes. And um, so that is really the goal. I really want parents to not feel like they picked the short straw. <laughs> you know, they got the short straw when they had a child who is atypical. But, but how can we actually experience this in a way that can actually make our lives even more incredible than, than we ever believed possible? I love it. So yes, yeah, so I will put a link to Differently Wired in the show notes so people can go check it out because I, I totally agree. I think, you know, we've got to get ourselves in the right mental and emotional place so that we can do the best for our kids. And I think, gosh, if our if your kids can be your catalyst for making really positive changes in your life and learning how to like think and feel in a way that lights you up and gives you energy and makes you feel good, then that's a wonderful gift that these kids can give to us, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I also have a super mom power boost that I like to tell my uh, parents during the podcast of a quick way that they can boost their energy to kind of keep them going when times get a little overwhelming and tough. Do you have any suggestions for moms and a, a way they can boost their energy and keep them going when times are tough? Well, I'll just share what I, I have a lot of things that I do, but my <laughs> kind of quick thing I do is I put on a podcast and I go just for a walk around the neighborhood. I just, I really need walking for me is my way to recharge and to breathe and just be alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I always like listening to something because learning also inspires me. So um, yeah, so the combination of walking in and listening to a podcast is my recharger. Nice. And I have to up to give a little suggestion to, to, to my listeners because I just listened to your podcast on self-care. It came out like around January of last year, 2018. So uh, if you guys need a good like boost and like creative mindset on how to like take care of myself in different ways that maybe you haven't thought of before, then go listen to that because you give so many good suggestions. Like I love like listening to podcast while doing a puzzle, like things like that. I just (laughs) never thought of that. And I even put your um, recommended dance songs on my playlist. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, so awesome. I was like, okay, she's got, she dances like me. She likes show tunes. So I'm going to take this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is there anything better than show tunes? I mean, come on. Not in my opinion. There's not. <laughs> this is me is one of my favorites. Oh, okay. What a song. Yes. It's awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being with us here today. I really appreciate it. And I recommend highly, if you've got a Differently Wired kid, to check out Debbie's podcast and her book, Differently Wired. And wish you all just tons of luck and hang in there. And I will leave you with... I have a client who's... (laughs) I've been coaching her off and on throughout the year, many years. And she now has an adult daughter with autism. And her mantra, every time I talk to her, she says... Life with my daughter is unpredictable. I can predict that this life will be unpredictable. And so that's what she she found to be most helpful for her is just reminding herself that this is going to be unpredictable and that's okay. Mm. And so it kind of keeps her laughing, keeps her prepared for whatever is coming next. So that will be my suggestion for you today. (laughs) And thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you, Tori. It was great to talk to you. And thanks, everyone. I love you and love you. Want a free life coaching session? Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and schedule yours today. And thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash record my question and you can send me a voicemail recording or write me an email and I'll answer it on the air. Thanks again. Have a great day.